0: Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. We have a change for a dollar. Good morning. We have a change for a dollar for D and uh, Jim and D Brown here. Jim and D Brown. Oh. Jim and D Brown. Change for a dollar. There you go. That's a ministry we do where we, there's a, there's a bucket in the back and they, we say, hey, if you have a buck, throw a dollar in there and uh, we gather that together together and then give it out in $50 increments for you to just bless somebody with no strings attached. We're closing in on $5,000 given away through, through that, so that's a cool deal. So I'm Chris, I'm the teaching pastor here. If we haven't met, uh, we are in a series called Peculiar People. And uh, what we are talking about in this series is that as Christians, we have different motivations. We live in a different way, right? In, in a way that's countercultural, oftentimes. Because the Bible says basically that there are two ways to live. <clears throat> there are two roads you can take in this life. And, and there's, there's a road, there's a... There are two roads. There's, there's a road that leads to life, and that's a narrow road, and there's a road that leads to destruction. And that road is wide, and most people take that one. So, so uh, a bunch of you raised your hands along with me early in this series and said, let's not be normal. Let's be different. Let's be, as Peter puts it, peculiar people. So today we're talking about a peculiar Christian practice, and that's the practice of hospitality. Hospitality. And we have some work to do because when you hear the word hospitality, uh, I don't know what you think of, but, but if you put that word into Google right now, almost uh, all the first things that will come up are either like vacation resorts or Martha Stewart something, right? So, so we, have some, we have to start out by asking, where, where does the word hospitality even come from? What's it really mean? Because there's, there's a hospitality industry, Right? So so I'll show you that. If you have your Bibles, you can get them and go to Hebrews 13. We'll start at the beginning, and we'll go through uh, verse 16, and then we'll kind of refer back to that portion of Scripture throughout the sermon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that starts, it says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never Will I forsake you? So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcomes of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruits of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased so in Hebrews 13 two, it says uh, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it so what is that? First of all, the phrase, show hospitality to strangers, is a, it's a translation of a single Greek word, phyloxenia. So, so Philadelphia means love of people like us, our brothers or sisters, but this word phyloxenia means to love people who are different than you, and it has a specific meaning, which is to bring them into your home as guests. It says, for by so doing some people are shown hospitality, philosynia, to angels without knowing. What's this saying? Why is this hospitality thing so important to God? When you and I go traveling, we either stay in hotels or, or in homes of people we know, right? But that was essentially impossible in ancient times. Travel was very dangerous, very exhausting, and people didn't do it at all like the way we do it now. Like now, if you're going to another city, chances are you know somebody there. And there, that wasn't usually the case back then. Nobody moved around, so back then you didn't know many people outside of those people in your town or your city, so traveling to somewhere far away would have been impossible unless somebody, a stranger, opened their home to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have anywhere to stay. People traveled long distances having no idea who they were going to stay with or even if they had a place to stay. As a result, there was this high value on hospitality in ancient cultures. Zeus was the god of hospitality, for example. The ancient hospitality code had four parts to it. First of all, there was invitation. You can actually find this in many places in the Bible. If you were traveling, you would come to a city or town, and you would come to the gate, and you would just wait for someone to come out and invite you to stay with them. Genesis 19 talks about it. Genesis 24, Acts 16, where Paul goes to Philippi. You see it all over, all over the place. You would go to the gate and wait for someone to invite you in. Secondly, there was screening. If you were going to invite strangers in, you wanted to make sure that they were not an enemy that was going to try to take over the city in the middle of the night. So the host would do a little bit of screening, uh, a little bit of interviewing. Maybe if you were the one traveling, you would bring some letters of recommendation from some, from some famous people if you had had them. Thirdly, there was provision. Someone would come out, invite you in, bring you in, and it was the host's job to wash your feet and provide you with a feast. Not just snacks, a feast. And then give you rest, because you were weary travelers. Traveling was exhausting. Finally, there was departure. Ordinarily, as a guest, you would never stay more than two nights. Okay? It was your job, as a guest, to get out in two nights. Still a good rule, right? So hospitality was super important in the ancient world because if people decided to stop hosting each other, nobody could travel. But when God made a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai and he started to tell them uh, what kind of community he wanted them to be, God took hospitality way beyond its value in the culture. As valued as it was everywhere else, hospitality to the Jewish people in Israel was valued even way beyond that. And you can see some of it in Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. If you have your Bibles, you can go there, or it'll be up here. <clears throat> it's, this is where God says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So you see what he's saying? In ancient cultures, why was hospitality valued? Because you, you couldn't have travel you couldn't go traveling if everyone decided they just weren't gonna be hospitable anymore. It was out of courtesy and obligation. You were hospitable really. Because you may need someone to be hospitable to you someday. But God says, I'm gonna give you a whole different basis for why you need to be hospitable to the outsider and to the stranger. Here's why. Because you were aliens in Egypt. You were wanderers in the wilderness. And you would have died out there. But I clothed you and I fed you. And eventually I brought you home so you were no longer strangers. I brought you home. You live only by my hospitality and my salvation. God says, if you've been saved by my grace, then you are the recipient of life giving hospitality, the Lord's spiritual hospitality. Therefore, because you are strangers and you are aliens and you were weary wanderers, and I saved you with my hospitality, now you turn around to others and do the same thing. That's a much more powerful foundation for hospitality than courtesy or obligation. Not only that, but ancient hospitality was just given to travelers for two nights. But God here says in Deuteronomy 10, that being hospitable means to care for the orphan and the widow. Care for the poor. And when he says care for the strangers and aliens, he's talking about caring for immigrants, right? People who have come from, here from other lands. Refugees in many cases. When God says that's your kind of hospitality, that's not just travelers for two nights, he's saying, the poor and the widow and the immigrant are like weary travelers. Because their journey, as they travel through this life, is exhausting and dangerous. He's redefining hospitality. It is still bringing people into your home, yes. But it's also much more than that. It means to take take your possessions, things, money, goods, your home, your time, your skills, and spend it on people with less than you. We are to be open to the outsider, open to the people who are strangers, open to the people who don't believe like us, look like us, or have what we have. Why are we supposed to be hospitable to them? Because they're like weary travelers. They're exhausted from their journey. That's hospitality. And when you actually get to the New Testament, if anything, the promise of hospitality is its ratcheted up even a little bit more. We, we saw it where we read there. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospa- hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. William Lane in his, in his commentary on Hebrews says about that verse, says for Christians, the expectation is that God will play a significant role in the ordinary exchange between guests and hosts. This expectation lends to hospitality a sacramental quality. Now what's, what's a sacrament? Baptism, right? The Lord's Supper. Those are sacraments, right? But, but what's a sacrament? What it is, is, is a common stuff. Like water, bread, wine, common stuff. You can get it anywhere. It's nothing special. And yet, when dedicated to and used by God, that common thing is a vehicle for God's power and grace coming into our lives. That's what a sacrament is it is to make the ordinary sacred. You know what that means for us? To take somebody out to coffee to listen to their problems, to to meet somebody new in your apartment building who is different than you and invite them in and just listen to them, just welcome them. That's That's not counseling. That's not spiritual direction. There's no technique involved. It's just common. It's just getting together over coffee at God, according to Scripture, can work powerfully in that. There was a sermon I listened to getting ready for this, and the pastor said, when we practice hospitality... We experience the joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. You catch the imagery there? The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't move through us to others. We should always be thinking things like, how can I draw the most people into a, a deep experience of God by the use of my money, by the use of my things, by the use of my home, by the use of my church home? We should ask who right now might be feeling lonely? Who needs to be asked out? Who needs to be asked in just because they're lonely? What two or three people's abilities might explode into a new ministry if they had two hours to brainstorm over dinner at my house? Hospitality means meeting new people, seeing people who seem to be lonely, seeing people who seem to be confused, and doing what? Sometimes very, very little. It isn't getting out the china. That's the Martha Stewart approach. No offense, Martha, if you're listening. I don't know if she listens to the podcast. I don't know. If you, can, if you can do it nicely, that's all right. It makes people feel special, but that's not the point. Peanut butter and jelly could be fine. That's ordinary. But ordinary in God's hands becomes sacred. And it can change somebody's life. In many cases, I don't, you don't even know to what extent those conversations and that welcome and that reaching out to people, what impact that has. Yet there are people walking around right now. There may be some people in this room who remember a day like that, a night like that, remember a conversation like that. And no, they've never forgotten it. It got them through a tough patch in some way, it turned things around for them. God works through your hospitality. Having people in your home, you using your time and your efforts and your money in the lives of immigrants, of the poor, of the marginalized, of the outsider, or your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's God's hospitality. It's a peculiar way to view life. A couple things about hospitality. Hospitality is an attitude of the heart and a practice. It's an attitude of the heart that seeks to turn strangers into guests, friends, and eventually brothers and sisters. It's an attitude of the heart that goes after new people and makes them feel welcome. It especially goes after and welcomes people who the world excludes. So people who are different, people who are unlovely, people who are unwealthy, people who are unconnected. It's an attitude of the heart. But then it's a practice. It's bringing people into your home or taking people out to your favorite places and listening to them and making them feel accepted. But beyond that, as, as we can see, it means the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the homeless people who need hospitality more than anybody. The high schooler that's lost, they need more hospitality than anybody. It means finding ways to put your money, your goods, and your time into their lives. So here, here are a few ways you could be hospitable as a person of the Upper Room Fellowship, all right? You ready? good. Okay. If you're a Christian and you're starting to kind of get the vision for hospitality, here you go. First, uh, you should be asking other people into your home. Invite them into your space. A lot of them are not going to come. A lot of them are going to wonder what you're up to. They're going to think you're an insurance salesman or something like that. But some will come. Be intentional about having people into your home. In the book Bowling Alone, a a Harvard professor named Robert Putnam chronicles sociologically and statistically the decline in in hospitality in the last few decades. The whole premise of the book is that bowling leagues are all but extinct. When people go bowl, they usually do it alone now. Uh, The number of people playing cards together is down 25%. The number of bars, nightclubs, and taverns where people used to congregate is down 40%. Full service restaurants where people walk in, sit down, and have a meal are down 25%, but the number of fast food restaurants are up 120% because so many people eat so many of their meals alone in their car. Having a social evening with a neighbor is down 33%. Having friends over to your home is down 45%. So just inviting guests into your home today is countercultural, it is peculiar. You want to be real revolutionary? Open your home and your life and your table and your refrigerator to serve, to host parties, to invite strangers over to become friends. Throw some lavish parties once in a while. And the more I walk with God, the more I think we should be celebrating all the time. We should be the best celebrators around. Can I encourage you to read a book? If you haven't heard of him, there's a guy named Bob Goff. Okay, he wrote a book called Love Does. If you haven't read that book, I would encourage you to read it. If you haven't read it for a while, read it again. You talk about a peculiar person. Bob Goff is the best celebrator and one of the most hospitable people you will ever hear about. Love Does is the book. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, read Love Does by Bob Goff. Okay? It's a short book. So first, have some people into your home. Throw some parties. Secondly, you should start bringing friends and neighbors into your spiritual home. Okay, say come come with me to church and afterwards we'll go eat and I'll pay that's hospitality be a bringer something like 70% of people say that they would like to attend church but they are uncomfortable going without someone inviting them and going with them thirdly Christians should be just be eating together informally all the time things happen there that would never happen if you planned them to happen hospitality works great when it's spontaneous really great stuff happens. Fourthly, you could host a fellowship group in your home and watch people's lives change. My little tiny home? Yeah, your little tiny home. Kate and I don't have a large home, but we have people there often. We had a group over this past Monday. The house was completely full. There were kids everywhere. Like someone had kicked a little kid anthill. They were just... Hard not to step on, honestly. The adults were way outnumbered. It was really fun. Invite people into your home. Invite people into your spiritual home. Eat together. Do hospitality with one another. Maybe host a small group. Fifth, maybe give to the alms fund. We use all the money in the alms fund to help people with financial and material needs. That's the only thing it is used for. You should be tithing, yes. That's your spiritual act of worship. But once in a while, Push yourself. Give some to the alms fund too. That's an act of hospitality. Generosity and hospitality go hand in hand. The average American makes four times what the person outside of America makes, yet the average American spends 98% of their money on themselves. I don't say that to guilt you, just to give you some perspective. God gave you your money, and one of the reasons he gave it to you, he tells you in multiple places, like... First Timothy 6 and several verses in Proverbs is to enjoy it. So enjoy it, yes. But there's a difference in enjoying things along the way while you're in the midst of pouring your, your life out to others. There's a difference in that and in living mostly for yourself. In Luke fourteen twelve through 14 Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is saying that what we sacrifice down here for hospitality's sake will be abundantly repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Personally, I think one of the things that keeps us from being generous is really believing that. But the Bible is very clear that we'll actually be repaid for what we do here for God, for the plans of God. Being hospitable, it lays up treasures in heaven. Most of us save for retirement. That's good, you should. The idea of retirement is that you sacrifice a little now to prepare for then. You should plan for retirement, but what I really want to invest in is my eternal retirement. Because then I'll have a superhero body and I'll really be able to enjoy it. I'll be like Jesus, able to walk through walls. It'll be great. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Do you really believe that? If so, your money should follow. Randy Alcorn has said that the truth about your money is that when you die, you can't take any of it with you, but you can set it on to heaven ahead of you. You do that by investing it in God's kingdom here. Sixth, volunteer. Be a greeter or run the overhead projector or join the worship team or, or work with the kids once a month or work with the youth once in a while. Help us do this. It's a terrific way to show hospitality. And, and I'm not trying to add one more thing to your busy life. Okay, I know that for some of you getting to church roughly on time is a huge deal. That may be all that you can do. Showing up on Sunday may be all you can handle. And I understand that. And that, in and of itself, is is an act of worship. Thank you for being here. But I also know that our culture has made busyness a status symbol. We now equate being busy with leading a life of significance. So studies show that a large percentage of people think they are busier than they are, and most people overstate how busy they are. So for some of you, there may be some time to be hospitable through serving others here. Galatians 5:13 says You my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love You see the two roads there The wide road is indulge the flesh or or the narrow road the peculiar people way serve one another humbly in love It really is Narcissism versus hospitality. Everyone's looking for wholeness. But sadly, we perpetually buy into the lie that our own pursuits is what's, is what's finally going to get us that thing that fulfills us. And that starts very, very early. I remember having this thought. I can't wait to get to high school. And then you get to high school, and then I was like, I can't wait to get a car then I got a car and I was like, I can't wait to get a different car because this one is a piece of garbage, right? And then I can't wait until I graduate. You can fill in a story. You did it too. Okay, I can't wait to get a job. Okay, I can't wait to find a woman. Okay, I want a different kind of woman. Okay, I want kids. Okay, I want my kids to go to high school and college and leave the home house. Okay, I want to retire. Okay, I want, I want, I want. And here's what happens. The majority of our society... Perpetually believes that by fulfilling their own desires, they will finally find freedom. And once we can get to this level of life, this goal, this job, this ministry, this house, this level of relationship, as soon as we can get there, then it'll all be good. Then there's wholeness. Then there's joy. Then there's happiness. But when you get to that level, where's the bar go? Bar goes up. And so you work even harder to get to that level. And where's the bar go? Yeah. So what happens is, time after time after time after time, life teaches you that self-seeking does nothing but leave a wake of destruction in your own heart and in the lives of those around you. Narcissism is this unbelievably destructive force, yet the majority of people, those on the broad road, are buying into the lie that by being self-seeking, that's our only shot at joy, at depth, at wholeness, at freedom. Despite the fact that our lives are a screaming testimony that that isn't true. Serve one another humbly in love. Use your life to serve others. Live for something bigger than you. If you want to find your life, you lose it. Lose it in service to others. Last way to be hospitable. In the middle of the service, when we say, turn to each other and greet one another, what is that? Is that just like an icebreaker? No. You realize for 2,000 years, there has been a part of the ancient Christian liturgy called Passing the Peace. When we say, turn to somebody and greet somebody you don't know, that's a really important time. What you're doing is turning to another person and saying, I was a stranger, but God took me in, and now I don't want to be worshiping around any strangers. It's turning strangers into guests. It's turning guests into potential friends. That's what hospitality is. So there are a few ways of being hospitable. So why? Why be hospitable? In Hebrews 13, verse 5, which we read earlier, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In the original Greek, this is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. The English translations don't really get this across, but the first part in the Greek literally says, I will never, never leave you. The second part says, I will never, never, never forsake you. Five times he says the word never there. It's over the top grammatically. Just smacking us with the unconditionality of what God is saying here. Literally what the text says is, I'll never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. You see, we were all weary wanderers at some point before we knew the amazing grace of God. But in Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 and then 19, Paul says, remember that at that time you were separate from God. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Jesus died to make room in the household of God. God did that for us. He made us members of his household. And then in Ephesians 13, 14, it says, For here we do not have an enduring, an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. You know what city that is? Revelations 21 and 22 talks about the city of God at the end of time. Do you know what grows in the middle of the city of God? The tree of life. It's the Garden of Eden again. That's our real home. God has made us a family, and in the future, God will finally because of what Jesus Christ has done, open the gates of our real home and give us that party, that feast, and, and show us the home and the rest our hearts long for. And on that day, we will no longer be weary travelers. We will be home, and we will be enjoying the hospitality of the Lord himself. Now listen, Jesus is the most hospitable person ever to live. In John 13, Jesus washes feet, in John fourteen two, he says, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's home. In John 2, he's the lord of the feast. He's the master of a banquet. He's always feeding people, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000. And ultimately, his radical hospitality will heal all of our weariness. At the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the characters says, uh, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. That's what we're going to say on that day. I belong here. This is the country I've been looking for all of my life. We also read in Hebrews 13, uh, 12 through 16, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. He is saying, let's pay the cost of hospitality. Because whatever cost it's going to be, for, for you to, to stick your neck out to bring somebody to the upper room, for you to uh, spend your money on the poor, for you to spend your money to bring people into your home, for you to throw a party, that's nothing compared to the cost Jesus has paid to bring you home. So your homework this week. Let's look for the outsider. Let's look for the seeker. Let's look for the poor. Let's look for those people, and let's be hospitable to them as Christ was hospitable to us. And guess what? You may find your entertaining angels without knowing it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us the promise that if we, we open our homes and our wallets and our hearts, it might cost us at times, but Nothing like the expense Jesus paid when he suffered outside the city gates so we could be brought in. We thank you for that, that power and that motivation, Lord. And now we pray you, you would make us a church filled with the spirit of hospitality to, to make strangers friends. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all this. Everybody said, Amen. Hey, the ministry team, if they'd like to come up, um, they'll be up front if you'd like prayer. Also, Sheldon's will be up here if you'd like to minister to them. They are weary travelers. So they could use some prayer and some hospitality from their family here. Amen? Amen. You're free to go. you free to come.